Welcome to the Greener Way podcast, a show about people, planet, and purpose, and how investors and corporate leaders push forward in a complex world. I'm joined by Insight Investments Head of Responsible Research and Environmental Economist David McNeil to talk about the outlook for green bonds in 2023. But before we even get into that, David, I have to ask, what is an environmental economist and how does your background shape your current role? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, Essentially, environmental economics is looking at the risks or the impact of investments um, on climate change, on nature, on broader environmental, social and governance measures. Um, So I've had a range of different roles. Um, My 10 years in the industry started out working with corporates, uh, developing water stewardship schemes, then went into policy development for a number of years, Um, then the data side of climate and ESG, so working with corporates on footprinting uh, their carbon emissions for a number of years, then looking at the credit risks uh, relating to climate change within a rating agency. So it can be quite diverse, um, and there's a range of skills, I think, that people are looking for in the industry um, as it matures. Look, I have to say, it's one of the things that I love the most um, about being a reporter in this area is that you really do find people from diverse backgrounds. Um, It's fantastic for broadening the mind. So that's great for that introduction. Um, Can we start right at basics, David? What is a green bond, and how does Insight Investments look at green bonds uh, as part of your wider portfolio decisions? Yes, certainly. So I think the one thing that tends to surprise lay people or people outside the financial sector is that there isn't a formal universal standard of what a green bond is. This can actually be a range of uh, different instruments with different conditions tied to them. Uh, but at a basic level, a green bond specifies the proceeds of the bonds should go to green projects rather than general corporate financing as a vanilla bond would. Mm. Uh, so in the early years of green bond issuance, this tended to be a bond issued where the use of proceeds would ring fence to renewable energy projects, energy efficiency uh, measures in new buildings, a retrofit, uh, green transportation or electrification, or energy efficiency investments in industry. Uh, but as the markets matured, we've seen the range of projects that these instruments uh, finance broadening over time. Uh, but we do still see a heavy tilt towards renewable energy in many cases. And mm. many of those in the early years were self-labeled as green bonds by issuers. So typically this is corporates, but it could be banks. Uh, we see local or regional government, mortgage-backed securities, uh, sovereign governments issuing green bonds. Uh, but in recent years, there's been a much stronger push for transparency and credibility of green bond issuers. So for example, a company with a track record of breaching regulations on emissions to to water, um, or in extreme cases, human rights abuses. These are points that would make investors typically wary of investing in green bonds from issuers with a weak ESG profile. And then you also had a question on insights view on green bonds. Mm. Uh, So we're really a a long-term focused asset manager. Um, Mm. Our focus is really on certainty of returns for our clients. So we view the low carbon transition as presenting risks and major opportunities from an investment perspective. Historically, there's been a focus, I think, particularly with regard to climate integration and investments on uh, divestment, negative screening, really trying to screen out the worst performers. Uh, Mm. But divesting from the worst performers doesn't uh, necessarily deliver real world emissions reductions if those companies are getting financing from elsewhere. And it also doesn't help address the systemic risks of climate change or the physical risks of climate change to the investments of our clients. So we think that channeling capital to effective and credible green bonds 
is really the key to reaching net zero. Um, we see an increasing number of clients looking for funds with a growing allocation to green bonds or even pure impact strategies in some cases. But I think the thing to underline is that having a green label, again, is simply not enough that introduces greenwashing risk. Mm. So for our sustainable fund rates, we typically undertake an impact bond rating assessment. So this enables mm-hmm. us to rate the framework of the bond for quality. So we'll have a, a detailed look at the use of proceeds, assess whether these are new projects or not just refinancing of existing projects. Uh, we'll look at the underlying ESG credentials of the issuer, mm-hmm. one to the points that I, I mentioned, uh, whether there's any external validation of this. So a second party opinion, for example. Mm. And then what detail there's likely to be and the frequency of impact reporting. So these strategies will typically have a target of at least 10% of the fund allocated to green bonds. On average, mm-hmm. that can be 15 to 20%. And we also invest in sustainability linked and transition bonds. So mm. we really see there's um, a lot of opportunity in the green bond space uh, to finance the transition, um, to help our clients move towards net zero in a cost effective um, mm-hmm opportunity focused strategy mm-hmm. uh, but really these need to be credible uh, green bonds we want to kind of mitigate the risk of greenwashing from your perspective david um is there an actual greenium that's attached to green bonds or sustainability linked bonds or sort of transition bonds is it is it a matter of there's actually something in this for investors either in reduced risk or increased sort of increased return from from a bond strategy or is this mainly about being involved in the proper tra- trajectory to align your portfolios with sort of uh, you know the trajectory of containing climate change um, as close to 1.5 as possible yeah i mean i think there's definitely been evidence of greenium in the past from the green bond market um historically as a market that's seen undersupply uh, relative to demand of green instruments um, mm-hmm. A lot of issuers historically would tell us that they would struggle to find a suitable range of projects mm-hmm. to finance under a green bond structure, despite strong invested demand. I think probably fair to say we've seen greenium um, erode over the last few years. Um, but interesting, you know, the European Central Bank, for example, has taken a detailed look at issuance over time, and they found that there's still a greenium associated with what they call credible issuers of green bonds. So Mm -hmm. issuers that have a strong ESG profile, that have detailed reporting commitments, uh, that have second party verification of these frameworks. So generally, I think, you know, the market is maturing a bit. There's much more of a differential there for the high quality frameworks. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we're starting to see, I think, um, just because of that undersupply, um, strong demand dynamic is there's a bit of a two tier market emerging. So the top tier of the market, increasing competition for the high quality mm-hmm. frameworks, mm-hmm. um, with goods kind of, um, issuer credentials with strong external verification, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But then at the bottom end of the market, still very strong residual demand for maybe, um, green bonds with weaker issuer profiles with weaker frameworks. So it's interesting seeing that dynamic starting to emerge. And I think that will be something that will play out over the next few years. Um, Mm. This kind of bifurcation of the the market into um, high quality, high cost frameworks at the top end, low cost, lower quality frameworks at the bottom end. Mm. It's really interesting, David. And look, I'm going to ask you later on in our conversation about what we can expect specifically for 2023. But before we get there, mm. I think it might be worth probing a little bit in on that. Um, from from your perspective, from Insight Investments perspective, is it 
better to have a labeled ring-fenced green bond that's attached to use of proceeds that are, you know, where you can see that credibility and that transparency, but the overall issuer is maybe lagging a little bit overall, or is it better to get a slightly less pure bond in terms of use of proceeds, but the overall company's quality is better? How do you weigh, and I know that Insight has a traffic light system Mm. on some of these issues, but how do you weigh purity ring-fenced poor quality overall issuer versus slightly better company, but slightly less ring fenced. Yeah. So it's a bit of both in practice. Um, I mean, Mm. I would say that the overall ESG strategy of the issuer is something that we look at within Mm -hmm. our impact bond assessment framework. So, you know, if you were, say, a very high quality framework from an Mm -hmm. issuer that had historically underperformed Mm -hmm. on ESG or climate change, you know, that is something that would be factored into the rating. And we have actually seen, you know, downgrades of certain frameworks from dark green, our highest rating in terms of uh, disclosure expectations uh, to light green in some cases, because we've seen controversies uh, on climate change or ESG associated with the issuer. Mm-hmm. Um, in practice, I'd say it's a bit of both. You know, mm-hmm. We have what we call impact issuers. So these are mm-hmm. um, issuers that were holding bonds on the basis of their revenues or their mm-hmm. CapEx and OPEX plans. So these could be issuers that maybe have a weaker ESG profile today, but we know are making capital investments uh, and op- operational spending investments within their general investment plans for the next few years to try and improve, to try and demonstrate momentum on ESG. Mm. Um, so generally, it's a bit of both. I think it's quite interesting in the context of sustainability link bonds. So these are bonds that are targeting general uh, corporate investment needs, mm. uh, but typically tying this to a defined environmental KPI, and then introducing penalties in terms of the, mm. the coupon uh, where they don't meet those targets. Mm. I think that's been obviously an asset class that's seen quite rapid growth over the last three years. Um, in 2022, saw quite sharp decline. And I think a lot of that related to rising concerns amongst investors about the credibility of those frameworks, You know whether they introduce sufficient penalties to issuers mm. for not meeting those targets. Yeah. Um, typically, that will be in the range of 25 basis points. In many cases, uh, you know, it's in the last two, three years of the bond maturity. So there's mm. a question of whether you know, that is kind of introducing sufficient uh, penalties on the issuer uh, mm. for not meeting the targets. So I mm. think there's a bit more skepticism, a bit more caution around those instruments in general. And I think it kind of goes against the grain of what we're seeing in the wider sustainable finance industry of very much standardization um, regulatory push towards crackdown and greenwashing or perception of greenwashing. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the benefits of sustainability linked bonds is that these are highly bespoke. They have different structures for each issuer. Um, mm-hmm. So it does raise a bit of concern, uh, typically amongst investors. I think also regulators, there tends to be restrictions on the holding of those bonds versus green mm-hmm. bonds uh, within, for example, bank capital requirements or um, under sustainable investment plans, um, holding those as green assets. There are a few more restrictions on SLBs. So just to make sure we've got the, I've got this straight for my audience, David, the difference between a green bond and a sustainability linked bond, um, as I understand it is, so the green bond is linked to underlying green assets. So there's a, mm-hmm. there's a straight line on proceeds, whereas a sustainability bond is linked to corporate behavior, i.e. future yeah. commitments around net zero, or, yeah, you know, exactly. if it's wider, it, gender diversity or, or, you know, targets like that? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Good to make sure that we're clear on these definitions. We can slip highly, we can slip into this highly technical language far too quickly, can't we? 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, so with all of that as sort of the analytical background, David, um, how strong and how deep is the international green bond market at the moment? And how does Australia fit in? I mean, you just referenced the fact that in 2022, there was a pullback in sustainability-linked mm. bonds at a global level uh, over greenwashing concerns, validity concerns. But how else does this fit? How, how What is the outlook now for green, for green bonds? Yeah, so I'd say, you know, there was a general decline in green social and sustainability bonds, um, including SLBs, including green bonds mm. uh, over 2022, but that kind of reflected the wider market backdrop. We did see the green bonds um, market in particular show quite a lot more resistance, uh, sorry, resilience than the the broader um, mm -hmm. bond issuance universe. So mm -hmm. I think there is still strong demand for these instruments. Um, we are starting to see first lines of recovery. Mm -hmm. um, certainly in the green bond market, a lot of issuers coming to market in Q1 mm -hmm. so far, a lot more interest, I think, in issuance over the course of 2023. Mm -hmm. And we think a lot of that could be just down to stabilizing market conditions, uh, but also you know, resilient demand for these instruments. Mm. Um, a lot of regulatory incentives uh, for investors to start purchasing these, these instruments again. Mm -hmm. So the market's grown rapidly in the past five years um, from relatively niche area of finance um, to these bonds issuing uh, are representing a major share of overall bond issuance. Mm. Uh, so S&P, for example, has projected that green social sustainability bonds uh, could represent 15 to 20% of all new issuance in 2023. That's a fairly significant chunk at a global level, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, starting from a very low base, but uh, you know, starting to represent a fairly large chunk, as you say, of uh, the overall mm. corporate bond issuance, um, but also in other asset classes, you know, financial institutions, sovereigns, et cetera. And then Australia specifically, we, uh, we love our home, we love our home country <laughs> bias. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, Australia's a really interesting case, um, historically been a very low share of the global green bond issuance market, uh, but growing very rapidly. So Energy transition, as everybody knows, uh, presents major challenges to Australia's mm. current export and industrial model. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's been analysis by Net Zero Australia. It's estimated that to replace the value of total gas and coal exports with clean energy-focused exports, such as green hydrogen and renewable energy, um, investment would need to expand by as much as 15 times today's levels at a cost of hundreds of billions of dollars. Mm. So there is a need for these major long-term focused investments particularly mm. in renewable energy generation, but also electricity transmission infrastructure, development of hydrogen supply chains, and addressing some sensitivities to transition, um, particularly just transition, and making sure that communities are um, continuing to benefit in this transition. So this actually points to strong growth prospects for the domestic green bond market and to low carbon finance. And we think... Over time, these policy signals will add greater weight to investor momentum on decarbonisation. So even in 2022, um, issuance of Australian green bonds um, more than doubled in 2021. Mm. And Australian dollar-denominated green or impact bonds um, currently represent around 1.5% of the global issuance. Um, mm. But we also see a growing volume of issuers in high-impact sectors such as mining and energy. Mm -hmm. um, bringing these instruments to market locally. Mm -hmm. So there's a range of um, new issues coming to market in Australia. I think the domestic market is starting to grow quite rapidly. And I think very bright prospects um, as a result of kind of policy support in particular. 
Mm, I think so. Uh, throwback for our listeners to uh, episode nine, where we interviewed Christy Graham of the Australian Sustainable Finance Institute. Um, the development of an Australian-specific taxonomy for, fine, for sustainable finance, one can imagine seeing catalyzing uh, green sustainability linked and, and sort of impact bonds as well, once there's a, a, a common language for it, I imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, finally, getting to the outlook for this year, David, um, will we expect to see more labeled greed bonds sort of at the global level? Um, and how about this 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 momentum that we've sort of hinted at earlier in the interview, um, you know, more green bond issuance, but also maybe the vanilla market becoming greener as credit rating mm-hmm. agencies, as banks, as issuers ask for, you know, sustainability linked um, information as sort of table stakes for bond issuance? Yeah, so I think some pretty interesting trends ahead for this year. Um, you know, we have seen, as we said, a recovery in the market. Um, the green bond market, in particular, re- returning to momentum. Um, one of the trends that we expect to see is a lot more issuance in emerging markets. So, particularly that stabilisation of interest rates mm-hmm. um, over the coming months that we expect, um, encouraging a lot more emerging market issuers uh, to bring bonds to market. Mm-hmm. And again, we think you know this links to the much stronger need for social and environmental investment in those emerging markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, desire amongst investors to demonstrate meaningful impact, so demonstrating that you know they are having a tangible effect on climate change in high need emerging markets. So that is one trend where I think we expect to see a lot more green bond issuance coming through, and also at the sovereign level, you know we've seen India issuing. A sovereign green bonds for the first time this year as well. We expect to see a lot more emerging markets bringing green bond structures to market. Mm, It'll be interesting to see the first regulatory action um, on an issuer um, on greenwashing grounds. I think that's something probably we should all be staying tuned for this year. Yes, absolutely. David McNeil, Insight Investment, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Greener Way podcast. If you like today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Any feedback? Contact us on podcast at fssustainability.com.au. I'm Rachel Allenbackis. The Greener Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.